Look, I know I say this a lot. Yeah. But the coming up on in this one is wild. <laughs> wild. Hi, Julian Bezzavalli. Hey, Patrick Hines. You guys, welcome to week two of our thing that we're doing where we're giving you extra episodes on the regular feed. Uh, Do you think Keith is listening yet? Do you think he's gotten wind? I think Matthew Perry's mother has showed him how to download a podcast. Honey, you can't watch a podcast. You got to get on your phone and you got to download it. You got to download a bitch like people think I used to always think I was saying. Download and binge, Keith. Download and binge. <laughs> um, you guys, speaking of, if you want more Jillian and me, join us on the Patreon. Over like 200 50 full bonus episodes to download a binge right now. It's where we do all the series. What are some of the oldies and goodies? With Night Stalker, we did Heaven's Gate. The Jinx, that's like maybe one of one of the best, honestly. Yeah. Um, Making a murderer, yeah. all 20 apps. 20? Was that all? I, <laughs> the Staircase. Yeah. All, we did um, the first season of Serial, the podcast. We're never doing a podcast again, but we did it that no. one time. Heaven's Gate, about that cult that you loved. I'm not the one on trial here. Lori Vallois. <laughs> you guys. This is Dateline. The episode is called Mommy Doomsday. This is the big one everybody wanted. This is like, yeah. it's a continuation of last week's episode, but really, like, this fills in all of the backstory of the bananas shenanigans we covered last week. And this is like the fifth episode that Dateline has done on this case. They have yeah. done a lot, yeah. but you you have told us we're taking your request, so you've told us you want us to do it, so we're doing it. So the first episode last week was like, I guess, the precursor, and this is the ultimate follow-up until they do it again in six months. I'm basically a ticking time bomb. <laughs> We've kept really private, but this story had to be told because it's not going away. It's just sick. Who does that to children? Who does that? Did you begin to rethink what happened to Tammy? Yeah, I did. Who is this woman that replaced my sister? Someone said, I have a recording of Lori Vallow saying she wanted to murder your brother. I was going to kill him, like the scriptures say. What he suffered is unimaginable. This is beyond disturbing. What were they planning? What were they concocting? It was something that could have been prevented. I love you so much. Okay, baby. There's still so much more to come. My first note here is, can somebody please explain to me Lester Holt's role on Dateline? What does he do? Because sometimes he's the Keith. Oh. And then he's also the general host because he just comes in right at the top. Like, here's Keith yeah. Morrison with this. Yes, and then at the end, and then like right like Keith drops the big bomb on us. And then at the end, what? it's Lester Holt being like. That's all for this edition of Dateline. We'll see you again next Friday at 9, 8 central. I'm Lester Holt for all of us at any NBC News. Good night. Sleep tight, everybody. We'll see you next week. And it's like, all right, look, yeah, all right. I thought that was Lester Holt's whole job on Dateline. But sometimes he's the Keith, you're saying. Sometimes he's the Keith if I, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll be corrected. But I, if right. I believe that he's sometimes the Keith. Oh, my God. So, you guys, at the top of the episode, we learned as it stands, like, at the airing of this episode, Lori has not been charged with murdering her kids, but she's under investigation for the murders. And now we learn that that guy, Charles, the one that her brother killed in the living room, and her then the husband. cops got him. Yeah. And the cops got the, the white guy shooter a milkshake and sat him down on the sidewalk and made sure he was okay. That guy. Yep. That guy, Charles, was Lori's fourth husband. I screamed at that revelation. Right. Because like the whole beginning of this is Keith being like, well, everyone knows what happened, right? Like everyone right. knows what happened. So we're yeah. going to dive in. And he goes, where to start? Maybe here, Phoenix, April 2018, the sudden death of Lori's third husband, Joe Ryan. Where to start? Ah, how about here? And I'm like, Keith? <laughs> Now we're in uh, Phoenix in 2018. Yeah. We're, we're talking about the sudden death of Lori's third husband named Joe Ryan. And we right at the top get Joe's backstory. So we meet his sister Annie. She's fucking cool. I love this Annie woman. She's great. I like Annie. It's nice to like somebody in this series for once. Other than Keith. I mean, we need totally. somebody. Keith, you're great, but like... That's too much pressure on you. I know. So we learned that Joe was born in Connecticut in 1958. He's the oldest of five. Annie was the youngest. And like their family kind of fell apart when Annie was born. And they were all sent to different foster homes, which yay, I'm a foster parent. Yay, foster parents, most of you. 
Um, I'm glad it exists, but like that's really sad. And so Annie is telling us that like because of the way that they grew up, Joe had this like desperation for a family. Yeah, and so there were five siblings and they were all separated. And so like when he was in his young 20s, he was in the Navy, uh, he organized this Thanksgiving dinner because we had never had Thanksgiving dinner together as a family. And so he took on all of the costs of it and everything because it was just so important to him and he really wanted like a wife and kids but he like stays single through his 20s and 30s mm-hmm. he knew when he was going to be a dad he was going to be the opposite of the dad that he had he wanted to like show up to all the games he wanted to be really involved and he's really successful businessman he's got money and he meets this woman named Lori uh-huh. Lori is his hairdresser she's gorgeous they're both big extroverts and he proposes and she says yes but he's got a convert to Mormonism. Yeah, like, I will absolutely marry you, no question. However, you have to convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is, like, not easy. No, it's a big ask, if you ask me. For any kind, especially because, as Annie tells us, Job wasn't religious at all. So the fact that he's marrying a religious person is one thing, but also that he's now going to convert, it's a big deal. Yeah, guess where they get married, girl? Yeah, like, two months after meeting, in April's yeah. backyard in Hawaii. <laughs> I know. Remember April from the last time, where, like, Lori, just every three months, she shows up on April's door does not bring up like a host gift or whatever you call oh, that. Oh, she comes empty handed, <laughs> which you should never do. No. And insists on like the good chair. She's a nightmare, Lori. And a murderer. So, and sometimes she's got like her kid in tow. Sometimes she's got a husband in tow. She's showing up in, yeah. in April's backyard like every three months. And it starts here when she gets <laughs> married in Hawaii. This is the beginning of the obsession with Hawaii as far as I'm concerned. Right. So he was in his 40s. She was in her late 20s. And Keith is like. He was 43. She was in her late 20s. His first marriage, her third, to which she brought her young son, Colby, and something else. Lori was expecting a girl. Lori brings into this marriage a young son named Colby. This was news to me, girl. I mean, gigantic, like, flashing light confetti. I was like, Colby? Oh, my God. And then we learned Lori was pregnant with Joe's daughter, and that's Tylee, who we know very well. So, like, two things. I'm psyched for Joe that he gets to have a kid because that's what he's always wanted. Uh I had no, like, all we know is that Lori killed both of her children. We did not know that Lori had another kid that she brought into the marriage. Right. And so I'm going to say something that's really uncomfortable here. Oh, God. So Annie, Joe's sister, says... Joe was over the moon with Tylee. He was convinced that she looked just like him. And she... She didn't, but we all had to pretend that she did. (laughs) She didn't look like him at all, but we all had to pretend that she did. And Keith kind of chuckles, and I'm like, we're all thinking it, right? Is Tylee actually (laughs) Joe's kid? And that's no shade to Joe. That's because Lori's a fucking nightmare and a selfish bitch murderer. But was Tylee... I gotta interrupt you and say, I've never heard you use this this forceful language before. I've never heard these words out of your mouth. Has anyone deserved it more? I mean, this woman. Yeah, she's terrible. But you're right. We're all thinking it. Like, it's probably not his kid if everyone's saying it doesn't look anything like him. And they got married right away, and then she was pregnant right away. Yeah. I know it's, like, oh, a little untoward. Yeah. Is that the right word? Like, maybe? <laughs> right. I, don't, I, I don't know. It seems like the kind of question Keith would ask, though. It seems weird that he didn't ask. Right, but he looked at me. He was like, you got this. I know you'll cover it eventually. Because <laughs> he does kind of chuckle, like, oh, really? Totally. You had to lie to the poor guy? Like, oh, my God. So Joe buys their dream house in Phoenix, and Annie- Get ready for- a banana story, you guys. We're just lining them up and knocking them down. Like hard left turn because Joe's like been like craving this family and he had like their upbringing was like not the best or whatever. And so the minute Annie goes to visit this house that they have. But during that visit, Annie could see as she put it that the new leather smell of the marriage had already worn off and Joe was fighting an old enemy, his hair trigger temper. I can immediately tell the new leather smell of the marriage had worn off, which usually, like, my mom would say, like, oh, the bloom's off that rose. You know, like, yeah. it's the honeymoon's over kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. this is also where we learned where Joe had a hair trigger temper. So, like, that, uh, I went from, like, really liking this Joe guy to not really liking him, but then also seeing myself in him, like, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Because we learned that, like, while Annie is there visiting, it's raining out and, like, the roof is leaking. Annie's also like, it's the first big rain. I'm like, what, like, it's a little house on the prairie? 
Also, like, who doesn't love the first big rain? Like, oh, how beautiful best. would that be? I know. To, like, sit inside this gorgeous house and watch the rainstorm outside. But apparently... And the roof in the living room leaked. It was, like, humiliating for him. And he really lost it. And it was in front of all of the kids, you know, like, punching the wall, dropping F-bombs, you know. I understand this. Steve and I have this, like, long-standing joke. Like, I was raised really poor. So, like, mm-hmm. I have definite poor shame. If we go out to dinner and I spill something on my shirt, like, I get, like, sauce on my shirt, it could, like, ruin the dinner for me because now I'm embarrassed. I feel like a, like a slob. I feel like I wasn't raised well. Like, all of those, like, insecurities that you bury under 14 martinis at the bar before dinner, they all come oh, sure. out the minute you sure. spill the sauce on the shirt. But this guy, Joe, takes it to another level because normally I'm like, just get me another martini. I'll be fine. I'll get over it. Yeah, you'll yell at Steve about it later, but Joe takes it out on everyone in the moment. And he's like punching the walls, like Mm -hmm. in front of the kids. Joe's like a big guy. You see him, like he looks like a strong guy. So like I can see how that would be very scary. And Annie tells us after that they became estranged, and I'm using their word, not mine, forever. Yeah, Keith's like... So much so that Annie would begin an estrangement from Joe that would last to her regret now forever. Keith, girl. Like, I know it's true, but my God. Yeah. I wrote, I feel like between him punching the walls and Annie never speaking to him again, everyone in this family is overreacting. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, I do understand you finally got the house. Yeah. The ceiling should not be leaking the first rain of the season. Like, ceiling, do your fucking job, but also, like, keep your voice down and don't punch the goddamn wall. Like, use your words and keep your feelings in check. But also, like, Annie, you both had shitty childhoods. Joe finally has the family he wants. Give him one more chance, girl. That's all. I'm just saying give him one more chance. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's clearly a lot here. Again, Dateline will do six more episodes on this. And so that like big fight was the last time Annie saw Joe. And so then we get like a commercial break, right? And even though this is on, we're watching this on Peacock, right? But they still like sort of do the fade out to commercial Uh and then you don't watch Uh the commercials and then we're back. So it like fades out with Keith being like, Joe wanted perfection. What he got, he had no idea. Oh, he had no idea. And then it's like, all right. Because then we're suddenly back at a fucking beauty pageant and Lori is strutting her stuff. Yeah, she's strutting her stuff. But the only reason they're showing us this video is because Mm -hmm. she's answering like a question to the judges. And she literally looks like she's giving a deposition in a court. Like, where are they? She's wearing like a pantsuit in like a hotel conference room or something. She's wearing like a business suit and the sash. And she's like, you know, and Keith is like, what a moment it was. 2004, Lori Ryan, center of attention. What a moment it was. (laughs) Lori Ryan, center of attention. And so he's like, you know, right here, right before the judges, like Keith is like, she drops, you know, what afterwards sounds almost like a hint. Being a good mom is very important to me and a good wife and a good worker and being all those things together is not easy. So I'm basically a ticking time bomb. (laughs) I'm basically a ticking time bomb. And I'm like... All right, Keith, you got me again. You're onto something here. I know. I'm basically I know. a ticking time bomb, she says. The thing is, like, I know we're all making the same point, but she was. She was. She, she really was. Like, I know that's obvious. I know that's why they included it, but I still feel like saying it was true. It was really true. And then, you guys, by the way, she doesn't win the pageant, and two months later, she files for divorce. Right. <laughs> So she's finally divorced from Joe, yeah. right? The guy who was mad at the rain. And we're with... <laughs> when it comes down to it, that's yeah, what happened. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a great at way of saying core, it. Yeah, Because I can't go back in the hole of the foster. I can't go back to like giving all the context. When it comes down yeah. to it, he got in a fight with the weather. <laughs> he got in a fight with the weather. Yeah, sure. And if, if any of you uh-huh. mm-hmm. were to say that you haven't also been there, you're liars. We've all been in this. We've all been that angry. You just get a haircut. It's fucking raining. Or you have some event to go. To. I understand. But I've never once punched a wall. So I will say I have been angry enough to punch a wall maybe a handful of times in my life. I've always looked at the wall and been like, that wall's going to win. Yeah. Like this, Ooh. not only am I not going to do that cool thing where your fist goes through the wall, I'm going to break a couple fingers. Oh. You know what I mean? You're going to have that angry face and you're going to be <laughs> Nathan Lane when he tries to drive uh, in the birdcage and he's like, ah, because the honker yeah. goes up. The honker. Oh my God. The horn. 
you will just turn into Nathan Lane in the birdcage. That's what will happen to you if you try to I mean, punch a wall. I mean, a million percent. Not that it, like a violent act like that ever looks cool, but like I would definitely regret it the second I tried to punch a wall. I we mean, all know it's true. There's nothing that would backfire more <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> than you punching a wall. <laughs> Oh my God, you guys, can you imagine? So now we meet, oh my God. They need their own buddy comedy. (laughs) Jillian's rubbing her eyes. Now we meet Tom and Vivian. These two people, they're like the mental health professionals that were assigned to the custody case between Joe and Lori when the divorce is happening. So they both want custody of the kids and suddenly there's very serious claims of sexual abuse. Like Lori is saying that like Joe sexually abused her son that she brought with her into this marriage and the daughter that allegedly they created together. So these two are here because they had to assess the veracity of of those allegations. Right. And Keith says to them, like, why are you here? Why on Dateline? (laughs) And Vivian says, I'll be point blank Frank. I'll be point blank Frank. And let me tell um, all of you now, if you know someone named Frank and they are a straight shooter, you better be calling them point blank Frank. If you know someone named Frank, I'm going to say it again, and they are a straight shooter. If you are not calling them point blank Frank after this, what are we doing here? What's the point of all this? You guys, don't make us cancel the podcast. We will if we have to. Keith is driving around Hawaii tracking this woman down. I know. And you're not going to just do the right thing and call that friend of yours point blank Frank? Dateline has been on for 68 years. For what? For you to not be using point blank Frank? It's it's rude. It's it's you're doing a disservice to Keith and to me. But you guys, so here's the thing. Like the allegation is that, and like we're gonna hear this later, not like sexually molesting, raping these yeah. two children. Yeah. And guess what? Number one, Tom and Vivian say straight up we don't believe it. I do not believe he sexually abused Kobe. I did not, nor do I today. As the like the proxies for these children assigned by the court, we said these allegations weren't true. Colby, the son that she brought into this marriage, adult Colby, is here to confirm the allegations. He would like spank me and then he just did weird things like little hits in the head, like thought it was funny. Okay. And uh, you know, he was uh, sexually abusive as well. With you? Mm-hmm. Colby says, like, in no uncertain terms, yes, Joe was kind of also weird. Like, Joe would spank him and weirdly hit him in the head thinking it was funny and then also sexually abuse him. And Colby's here to tell me. I'm hearing Colby. I'm listening to Colby. And Vivian even says, like, In fact, both experts believe both Tylee and Colby were manipulated by Lori. She was the mastermind behind the whole thing. Lori absolutely matches much of the criteria for an offending, falsely accusing mother. She was on a mission. She was on a mission. She wants Joe out of the picture. Vivian and Tom are of the belief that Lori is manipulative and Lori wanted something to come out of this. And so Lori manipulated Colby into believing that. Colby is saying, absolutely not. That's not what happened. My truth is that I was abused by this man. And I'll tell you, like watching like Pharaoh versus Alan, I believe seven-year-old Dylan Pharaoh knows what happened and remembers. sure. So like, it's not up to us to make a judgment any way he says it happened and we believe victims so like but we also know that she is a very manipulative person who does and says whatever she needs to to like get what she wants so you know and and so much so that like Lori told Vivian Vivian tells us she said to me if this doesn't come out the way I want it to I'm taking the kids to Mexico she made it very clear that this needed to go in the direction that Joe was guilty of incest that she's like, hey, Vivian, you dumb bitch. If this case doesn't yeah. go the way I want it to, I'm taking these kids to Mexico. Yeah. I think a lot of things could be true here. Like, I think yeah. maybe there's there's absolutely a world in which Lori could have used this horrible thing that happened to her son for her yeah. own benefit. Because yeah. to say that to Vivian doesn't really sound like someone who wants the best for their kids. It sounds like she wants to win. Yeah, but it also, like, if you feel helpless and your kids are... Because what she's saying is, if it's true, then I have to now give my kids to my husband for visitations knowing what's going to happen to them for sure it's hard to talk about because we don't know the truth but we just I feel very sad for the son Colby for a million reasons like oh my fucking god you know so Tom Tom and Vivian officially say to the court look Joe is not a danger to Tylee and after a trial a judge gives Lori sole custody of five-year-old Tylee but Joe had some visitation and Vivian says I mean when you think about it 
children could be alive today had this gone just a little bit differently 13, 14 years ago. And by the time the court made this decision, Lori had already married fourth husband Charles, who we talked about last week. Yeah, Charles the one who, like, her brother shoots in the middle right. of the living room eventually. So, like, things aren't even settled with one case, and she has a new husband already. Right. So, like, Lori tried to stop Joe from seeing the kids, and Joe was, like, just following them around everywhere. And, like, this goes on for a while. Yeah. It jumps to 2018, and we're back with Annie. And Annie says, like, somehow she gets a call from somebody in the city of Phoenix. They were trying to find um, a, you know, a, a relative who could claim Joe's body. Like, Annie's getting a call from a stranger finding out that her brother is dead and somebody needs to come claim his body. Right, so Annie calls Lori right away. Yeah. And Lori's like, yeah, so what? I didn't think you'd care. It turns out Joe has been dead for over a month. And Lori knew and never called a like any of the family to let anybody know. Right. Here's what we learn about the death. We learn that Joe was like living in some apartment complex somewhere and that a neighbor called the cops because the dog smelled something foul. And the cops go to do a welfare check. They find Joe and he's been dead for like at least a week. And they say that he died of car cardiovascular disease at 59 years old like basically it was a heart attack and it's all very suspicious especially in like what we're gonna find out about Lori down the road we get we get a little like on-screen text or I don't know maybe Keith tells us that the Phoenix police have not responded to Dateline's request for comment and I'm like how dare you this is Dateline you what you you're keeping you're keeping Keith Morrison waiting yeah rude so on top of this Annie's like and Keith now that you're asking me I was noticing a lot of weird shit about Lori in this time. She was like, she was always pretty open about being LDS, but like she was moving way beyond that. Lori seemed obsessed about the biblical end times. She actually said, sometimes I think it would be better just to put my kids in a car and go over the side of the cliff than to endure how, you know, what's going to happen. Keith shudders. He's like, Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, and like, I want to pause on that for just a second and say, that's a real thing that happens. Mm -hmm. You guys, if you know somebody who's talking like that, please let the authorities know immediately because like that shit really happens. People really do that. Right. So now in 2018, when Lori was saying all this to Annie, there's a recording of Lori. Now I need like every bit of info. Where is she? Why is it recorded? Right. <laughs> Why do we have it? Like this tape was Keith tells us secretly, but legally recorded. She's at some I religious know. gathering six months after Joe's death. And Lori is like yeah. going into like extreme detail about the custody battle, about the sexual abuse claims and all of this stuff. And she's like, you know, I divorced Joe. I finally got away from him. And she basically says, I was going to murder him. I was going to kill him, like the scriptures say, and I just felt I couldn't take it anymore. And I would go through the scriptures and find all the things, like if he comes against you once, if he comes against you twice, if he comes against you three times, then you can kill him. There it is. There's my answer. So what she says is she'd go through the Bible and find things to justify murder. And she's like, there it is. Yeah. There's my answer. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm totally <laughs> going to kill him because the Bible says so. And eventually she's like, you guys, I didn't do it, obviously. <laughs> Um, but I really wanted to, and I still fantasize about killing my kids. So who's next? Again, Lori, thank you so much I, for having me. I have complicated feelings about this because I do feel like she didn't know she was being recorded and she's speaking openly and she is crazy and she does go on to do murder. Mm -hmm. uh, I find this tape to be complicated. Well, I want every answer about the tape, as you know. Yeah. I have a lot of questions. I want them all answered. <laughs> I agree. Keith. I think you should have your answers. Keith, email me. <laughs> so now we're cutting back to the fourth husband, Charles. Again, he's the one that was murdered in the living room by the brother. And we get his backstory. And But more than anything, we meet his first wife, Kimberly. <laughs> okay, Kimberly. <laughs> She's like a real housewife of Mommy Doomsday, if I've ever seen one. Well, she even says she was like... Their wedding in 1984 was Texas-sized in every way. Big hair, big this, big veil, big... That's how it was. Charles really had a lot of shine. He was kind of a go big or go home guy. We had a Texas-sized wedding. The hair was big, the dress was big, the it's like she she was a model and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. she was 19, he was 26. He does that garbagey thing that we talk about sometimes where it's like, you know, they met and she's like, hi, I'm Kimberly. And he's like, you're my wife. That's your name. You're my wife. And I'm like, that sucks. I hate that. 
that. I thought you were going to be through the roof on that because I got real mad. Your name is my wife. Are you fucking kidding me? And the thing is, like, the guy should not be dead. You know, it's just like, I yeah, feel yeah. like, I feel <laughs> shitty dragging him for yeah. it. But, like, my in my heart, I fucking hate that he said that. And, like, if the theme of this episode or this entire podcast is, like, so many things can be true at once, I'm going to yeah. say that I really think Charles should not have been fucking murdered. But please totally. don't say that to people, especially women. Your name is my wife. No, her name is I, fucking Kimberly. I want it to be known that Jillian suggested we skip this section. I was like, uh-uh, no. We can skip this section over my dead body. So it was a very hard, very ugly divorce with Kimberly. And then Charles moves to Austin and marries Cheryl. And Charles really, really wanted kids. So this is when Charles and Cheryl, his second wife, they adopt one of Charles's nephews. And then Cheryl gives birth to a son. Yeah, and like this is where we learn that like Charles is open to adopting his like nephews. Because JJ, one of the kids that gets killed in this, was another one of his nephews that he adopted later. So, you know, again, he and Cheryl have a divorce. It's another bitter divorce. Though Cheryl is like, Cheryl wants to be on good terms and when he meets Lori, she's super psyched that like another woman is sort of like taking him off her hands. And I was happy to see him find his next spouse because you know, that part is a little unusual that you're happy to have somebody I really you. was because you know I thought she you know this beautiful woman she's got two kids she's very religious this is going to be wonderful and then this is where I mean as if it's not convoluted enough right so Charles is now helping Lori because they're married and the custody battle against Joe Ryan Tylee's yeah. maybe dad, right? But Charles is also in the middle of his own custody battle with Cheryl. And all of these custody battles are happening at once in the same family court. So like there's a lot of drama and like Cheryl would like go in to meet with Charles about her custody battle and he would already be there like in the same office with Lori, yeah. with the other. It was like really, don't do this. This is like I so know. much more dramatic than I it needs know. to be. I know, but this is where Cheryl says like, I saw an instability and I didn't want her around my boy did Charles see this instability? Not that I'm aware of. He didn't share it with me. Cheryl's like, hey, Keith, remember where you were like, really? You were happy about Lori Vallow? And she's like, no, Keith, you were right the whole time. Like, now I hate her. This is where we learned that Lori and Charles moved to Phoenix, and this is where they adopt JJ, and there's new information here. JJ is autistic, and we didn't know that in the entire first episode. And so, like, JJ is kind of a handful, but both Charles and Lori, like, really love him. Charles was, like, a great dad. Mm -hmm. And so they moved to Phoenix, and, like, this is where Lori gets really focused on, like, the end times. Yeah, so now we're kind of going back to what we talked about last week, because BFF Mel is here, and now yeah. we're learning all about Chad. Daybell, the End Times author, and I'm like, Keith, oh my God. And this is what happens. Like, when they move to Phoenix, Charles and Lori have been together for 12 years, and this is where she meets best friend Melanie, and Melanie and Lori, this is where they take a spiritual road trip to St. George, but this is where Lori meets Chad, because Chad sort of knew Mel, so, like, she was sort of the connector, and it was one of those sort of, like, instant love at first sight, kind of, like, Lori is, like, instantly fascinated with Chad, and Chad like falls in love with her right away. Lori seemed entranced. She was attracted to him on a spiritual level. Then we learned that Melanie and Lori had a podcast. <laughs> I know. I looked it up. I looked it up on Apple. It's not there. It's oh, not still there. Oh, girl, I spent way too long trying to find audio of this. <laughs> but it literally sounds like Delicious Dish from SNL, Molly Shannon and Anna Gasteyer. They're just like, you're, and they're like the mouth sounds for days, like bad editors. Like they're just not real podcasters. But they're like, hi, you're here with Lori and Melanie this morning on our podcast, Feel the Fire. And I'm like, what? It's about like spiritual and health issues. It was Mel's podcast, BFF Mel. Lori yeah. was a regular and Chad was like a special guest many a time. You are here with Lori and Melanie this morning on our podcast, Fill the Fire. Literally anybody can make a podcast. What are you guys doing listening to this when you could be making a podcast with your about best friend? About the fucking end times. <laughs> Like, what? So, like, as we talked about last week, this is where Chad sort of ropes Lori in by saying, like, he's lived 32 times and she's lived 22 times. And in seven of those lives, they were married. And that's why they feel like they know each other. And, like, Mel just keeps saying. And she seemed to be very drawn to that idea. It was very exciting How for her. How weird must that be? What was Not only am her? I attracted to you, that <laughs> we've been married seven times in, on different planets and yeah, different yeah, lives. Yeah. yeah, she was actually intrigued by it. Lori was really intrigued by this. Lori thought it was just so intriguing 
Rican. I know. Can you imagine some guy says that to you at a conference? Can you imagine? I cannot. Next. Bye. Elbow to the ribs. Get out of my way. This is also when we're getting so many like little sprinklings here. This is when Keith sprinkles in that brother Alex, Lori's brother who killed Charles, her yeah. husband. Lori's brother, Alex Cox, a name you'll want to remember, tracked down Joe Ryan to a parking lot, lunged at him with a stun gun, and later pleaded guilty to aggravated assault. I mean, again, they call him her brother slash disciple. I mean, disciple oh my god. girl. Oh my god. Oh my and god. And so this is where we learn. Remember in the last episode, we talked about how one night Lori decides that Charles was not Charles anymore. He, he had was been Nick taken Schneider, over. the demon zombie, and <laughs> he must well, be back, killed. I promised you backstory on this. So you guys, it's late January 2019. Charles, the husband, has been away on a business trip, and he comes home. The car that he left for himself at the airport is not there anymore. He, like, gets himself home. Nobody is there. He's locked out of his house. Like, Lori's not there. The kids aren't there. The cops are called. The house is empty. It looks like they just moved. Like, the house is empty. There's nothing in the house. And so this is where we find out that she had said to him that she was going to have to kill him, that he was now a zombie and he's Nick Schneider or whatever. And we learn, like, the cops, we see all this on the body cam. Like, this backstory is bananas. She said, you're not Charles. I don't know who you are, what you did with Charles, but I can murder you now with my powers. Has she been to she, a doctor? No, she won't go to the doctor because she's a translated being and they would find out she's translated. She cannot be killed. She cannot die. The cops were saying to him, like, did you try to get her to, like, a doctor? And he's like, she won't go. She believes she can't be killed. Like, Lori presents as, like, she has no mental health issues, like, to everybody. But, like, she's really letting the guard down with the husband and telling her all of this crazy stuff. And then we learn when, like, when they finally reconnect and Charles, the husband, insists, remember, he insisted that she go for that mental health evaluation. We see it's being done by some fucking beat cop who, like, talks to this hot blonde lady for two seconds. And he's like... Just talking to you, I mean, I don't see you being a danger to yourself or anybody else. You don't seem like a danger to yourself or others at all. You're fine. Right. So remember how it took, like, from the last episode, we find out two weeks later, Charles files for divorce. And I was like, girl, two weeks, girl? Oh, my God. We meet his lawyer, okay? (laughs) Taylor Larson is here, Charles's lawyer. And... (laughs) Lori drained the business account and Charles yes. couldn't actually afford the lawyer. And this is where we get a oh boy. Oh boy. From Keith. Keith <laughs> says oh boy like 11 times in these two episodes. And every yes. time he does, it's like an angel has appeared. It's so great. And so Charles is worried about the kids. And he's like, I think maybe Lori's brainwashing Tylee because she's kind of like Tylee's old enough to kind of maybe buy into this. And it's her mother and blah, yeah. blah, blah. The lawyer's like, I'm going to be point blank frank with you. Uh, he was a broken man. <laughs> Charles was a broken man. Point blank Frank. I just imagine point blank Frank is a real person. You know what I mean? I think it could be a person and also a state of mind. Yeah. I'm going to be point blank Frank with you. So point blank Frank is kind of where I live. But I also, again, I'm going to really ask you, and I don't want to have to ask you again, if you know someone named Frank and they are a straight shooter, please. Yes. Only refer to them as Point Blank Frank. I could not agree more. Thank you. But the thing is, not only does Charles want a divorce, he wants an order of protection. Remember how this goes down, you guys? Two weeks later, she flies to go see him and he takes her right back. Right, because then he's like, and he says, If anything happens to me, know that it was Lori and her brother Alex that did it. The instigator would be Lori, but it would be done through Alex's hands. And that's exactly what happened. Because he sends the lawyer an email two weeks later being like, just kidding, girl, we're back together. Quote, love wins. And he like hijacks the love wins bullshit. Don't do that. Yeah. That's not for don't you, straight people. That's for us. That's for, that's us. for the guys. Yeah, it's not for me. I'm not saying love wins. Absolutely <laughs> not. God, I'm not taking that. I don't feel like this guy, Charles, was probably a, a gay marriage super proponent, if you know what I mean. No, and you know who probably wrote that email? Lori. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lori, well, like, Eat, Pray, Love is her fucking favorite book or whatever. She's got it written oh in, in chalk. She's got it, like, stitched on a pillow. Yeah, which is why it must have really crushed her soul to find out how dark of a soul Oprah Winfrey had. You I know. know I mean? And April's like, yeah, love wins, bitch. Can you give me a, a, a bottle of wine or a bouquet of flowers when you come 
and force yourself to be a house guest for three months in Hawaii. I moved to Hawaii to get away from people like you. I live in Hawaii. Oh my God. I know. Now this guy, Charles, after he took her back, gets murdered. Remember that part? We've talked about it a million times. Absolutely, I do. So, you guys, we're back with Cheryl, who was Charles's second wife, the wife before Lori, with whom he had the two kids, like the one that they had together and then the nephew that they adopted or whatever. Yeah, and she was like there with all the custody battles. They were in the same court for it. Yeah. And she was like, I don't want Lori near my kids. Her. Cheryl finds out that her ex-husband Charles, the father of her children, has been killed because Lori Vallow, I'm going to say this as calmly as possible. Okay. Lori Vallow sends a text message to the children saying I'm so sorry to tell you that your dad has been killed no she said she doesn't say that she says your dad passed away yesterday she doesn't even say oh. how he died oh that's what really got me and Cheryl is the one who's like crying now and I couldn't believe that she did that in that way I immediately knew they killed him and the kids are hysterical. Cheryl is hysterical. Lori puts little heart emojis at the end uh, of the text message. So she's, <laughs> she, at, again, at her core, she's just tacky. Even if yeah, she just, wasn't a murderer, <laughs> she's just tacky. And Cheryl is like, I knew that they killed him. And Keith is like, they? What did that mean? Who's they, girl? <laughs> Right, Keith. <laughs> Keith, like, Keith, you know, but he just wants Cheryl to say it because it's good TV. And, and, you know, obviously the they is the brother Alex. Like, Cheryl knows that Lori is insane and that Alex will do her bidding. Like, everyone's got Lori's number, but for some, except for the cops for some reason. Right, because she's like white and quote, pretty, which I still don't yeah. subscribe to. <laughs> you know, remember Tammy, Chad's wife? Yeah. They were married for 30 years. They have five kids, which, Keith, where are the goddamn kids? You didn't tell me last week, and I demand answers. I just I just would like to know how old they are, like, anything about them, anything at all. Yeah, I'll jump to the end and just tell you this tidbit that I gleaned, like, the third time I watched this. When they're digging up the bodies at Chad's house, he's watching from his adult daughter's house across the street. Oh, that's right. Well, that's one of them. Four more. Well, I know. That was a clue that they were like adult children you know and they refer to empty net like chad was having empty nest syndrome like they say that a lot anyway that's my my guess i will say dateline you could have given us one fucking morrison sentence about the fact that the kids were all out of the house god damn it yeah i mean anything for more of that voiceover honestly but if it also <laughs> provides information even better so we meet tammy's sister samantha and her husband yeah. jason and this is the first time samantha has ever spoken publicly about the murder of her sister, Tammy. We get Tammy's backstory, and I'm so glad to get it. Like, Tammy's, like, the forgotten victim in this episode. Like, totally. the, obviously, the, the murder of, like, children is so fucking horrible and tragic. But, like, so is Tammy's. So Tammy was one of five kids. Mm -hmm. She was, like, very smart. She reminds me of Steve, honestly. They say, like, oh. she was so smart, and she loved books so much that she created a lending library, like, out of her bedroom. She made little library cards for us to check out books from her. And I remember one time I didn't return stuff in a proper fashion and got a little late slip for like a nickel or something. And if you did not return your books in a timely fashion, you would get a late slip and a fine of like five cents. Even if you were her <laughs> sister, Samantha, like totally you return those books on time. I loved hearing the backstory about Tammy and eventually because she loved books so much and she was like really, yeah. really smart. And even Samantha's like, we're all really pretty smart in our family, <laughs> which I also love that Samantha said like, own that shit. Totally. That's amazing. But she meets Chad and Chad was in charge of the local cemetery and Chad got some ideas working there whatever the fuck that means he started writing doomsday books and because Tammy like really knew books she kind of dropped everything and helped him start a publishing company and then on their 25th anniversary Chad says hey girl God is telling me that we have to move four hours away to wait hold on Rexburg, Idaho. <laughs> I want to know, like, in whatever really serious religion you're in, like, when is the wife allowed to call bullshit on a direct message from God? Always. 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 A fucking direct message from God. I want more information on this, Keith Morrison. Tammy just believed that God whispered in his ear, you got to move to this little fucking town in Ohio or wherever the hell they're going. I got to tell you, from what I know about the Mormons, yeah. If, if you get a, a calling or you you feel something about, yeah, absolutely. The wife's like, okay. So, But Tammy didn't love the idea at first. Right. And she prayed about it. And then suddenly she was okay with it. And she ended up thriving there because Tammy was awesome. So she yeah. worked in the school as a librarian. 
librarian and things were going really, really well. And then in 2019, which again, like this was yesterday, basically. I know. I so fucking recently. I kind of can't believe how recent this was. In early October 2019, Tammy announced she was coming home for a visit alone. That was really unusual, as we learned, because Chad was, quote, busy working. No, he was getting busy with Lori, that bitch. And this is the thing we know. We know that by this time in 2019, Chad and Lori had already had that sealing ceremony. Like, they were both cheating on their their spouses. Like, they were well entrenched in this relationship. And, like, by 2019, Tammy and Chad had been married for, like, 30 years. Again, they've got adult kids that are, like, out of the fucking house. But in every picture, they look like they're still super in love. Like, Tammy yes. looks super super happy they're young like they started so young that like yeah. when the kids were all out of the house they look like they're in their like 40s you know yeah. and the timeline of this visit that Tammy does without Chad this is a few weeks after JJ and Tylee were last seen so this is all happening at once and then yeah. this truly I mean truly bananas Facebook post happens from Tammy yeah. she writes this thing and she's like you know hello world or whatever something right. really weird just happened something really weird just happened a guy wearing a ski mask was suddenly standing by the back of my car with a paintball gun. He shot at me several times. And people are like writing it off as a prank. Like even the cops think that it's a prank. And then 10 days later, she's fucking dead. She's fucking dead. And Chad's like, uh, in her sleep, everyone. And yes, I had a vision about it. Okay. I've been around before. I used to be Methuselah. I don't know if you know that about me. But, like, this is the thing where, like, Samantha gets a call from Chad that Tammy passed away in her sleep. Chad is telling her that Tammy had been sick, she had been coughing, and she and then she just fucking died. Those are two different things, Chad. Either you die right. peacefully when you're sound asleep, or yeah. you are you have a coughing fit and you die. Those are two right. different things. And, like, the B, the coughing fit and you die, happens when you get consumption in 1807. That's yes. not a thing that happens anymore. You have died of dysentery on the Oregon right. Trail. But because he's the husband, remember from the last episode, she's buried without an autopsy. All that shit is up to Chad. He gets to decide if there's an autopsy or not. I mean, unless the, the police intervene. But, like, I don't understand why nobody thought, let's figure out what really happened. Like, the cops were like, oh, my God, this guy is so distraught. They've been married for 30 years. He loves her. Let's find out what happened here. No, they just bury her. And they can't talk to Chad. As the weeks passed and Tammy's family struggled to grasp life without her. Jason got a call from Chad, who'd taken a trip to Hawaii. They thought to grieve. He says, I have something I need to tell you, but don't tell anybody. I got married while I was in Hawaii. We've met Samantha, right, and Jason. Like, they're with us for this interview. He calls Jason and says, don't tell anyone, girl. I got married while I was in Hawaii. And Jason's like, say what, girl? Yeah, wait, to who? Right. To who? Right. So so Samantha's like, I'll handle it. She googs. She googs Lori. She finds the podcast, which must yeah. have been fucking wild. She finds the podcast. And she's yeah. like, oh, okay. So Chad was on this podcast with Lori and this Mel person who rubs me yeah. the wrong way because Samantha's smart. Right. And so Keith says. Then Samantha grilled Chad about this new wife of his. Samantha grills Chad about that new wife of his. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I love the phrase, like, that wife of his. I just think, like, when used properly, I think it's hilarious. And Keith, of course, nails it. Samantha learns that what Chad has told her is, like, not the truth of what she's able to find out from the Goog machine. Chad says her name was Lori Ryan. And Samantha's able to find out that her name was actually Lori Vallow. Chad had told her that, that Lori's husband had died from a heart attack. And she's like, uh, no, he'd been shot dead in her living room. Like, like <laughs> these people are not thinking this through. Like, all of this information obviously is available on Google. And if you're going to marry somebody new two weeks after your wife of 30 years dies, of course they're going to fucking look her up. Right. And so now we're taking like a hard left turn because remember last week when BFF Mel told us that she called Chad and Lori and confronted them? And she's like, yes. Re I really let them have it. No, you didn't, yeah. Mel. Because we hear the phone call that Melanie recorded for whatever reason. First of all, we get Chad. Hello, sweet Melanie. How Warren Jeffs is that? Oh my God. Telling her to keep sweet. I don't know. Look, Reddit has whole theories about 
<laughs> the sister wifiness of it all with Melanie and Lori and Chad. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. But uh, because remember, all of this time when like when Chad's wife mysteriously dies and he goes off to Hawaii with Lori to get married, the kids are nowhere to be seen. And so now Mel is working with the cops because everyone knows this is some crooked shit and like something really bad has gone down. That's why Mel is recording this phone call. Because Lori and Chad had already asked Mel to lie and say she was at Frozen with JJ and then take the picture of the 15 kids. So this is after all of that. (laughs) Bad plan, you guys. Not good planning. It makes no sense. How do you get two kids to stand still for a photo, let alone 15 (laughs) random ones? Where is she supposed to go? kidnap them from a fucking schoolyard like this doesn't make any sense so mel made it seem last week like oh keith you don't even this is like not safe for children you don't even want to hear what i said to them no mel they're like fighting in like mormon language and like lds speak i believe that you have been very deceived by satan i believe that he has tricked you i mean tammy dies and then your husband died and then this and then he's missing it just doesn't sound like god's plan to me this does not sound like God's plan to me. And Lori's like, are you seriously saying that to me right now? Like, I can't even believe you. And I'm like, I thought they'd be screaming at each other. Like, they're fighting in LDS language, and it doesn't make any sense. And they're all really bad actors, and something is up with this call. Either either it's staged, or like, I don't buy it for a second. Something is really weird about this. Oh, my God. So then, remember last week when we learned that Dateline tracks them down to Hawaii? We only got a little bit of the tape last time. You guys, we get so much more of the tape. And oh I just God. have in my notes, I could watch this tape for hours. It doesn't it feel like she's like Britney Spears trying to just get out of Starbucks? The way they're, oh, they're like following. Totally. Like it's TMZ following her around totally. Hawaii on vacation. Hey, Chad and Lori's Dateline. He's heading out today. Oh, no comments. What do you guys have to say to the people who are looking for your kids? Where are your fucking kids? Like, she doesn't, like, I can't believe, I can't believe it. I know, and this is when the judge in Idaho issues a warrant demanding that Lori produce her children. She doesn't do it. She's arrested. This is all the stuff that happened at the end of the last episode. And the kids have been missing for eight months it's not like they've been missing for eight hours or a week it's eight months and she's like living in a look hawaii is expensive how is she living oh wait all that fucking insurance money because they killed everyone they've ever met right so they've like all of the insurance money for her husband's the four hundred and forty thousand dollars for tammy like they are loaded these people loaded so now it's june 9th 2020 which was yesterday by the way also like well into the pandemic we're not even talking about that i know keith's like there's justice to be served Fuck it all. Get vaccinated. Wear your goddamn mask. I'm going to Hawaii. So, like, Nate is up in the helicopter watching, like, watching them, like, basically dig up the yard. Chad is across the street at his adult daughter's house, and he gets his, like, daily phone call, I guess, on his cell phone from jail where Lori is in jail. And, of course, that call is recorded on the jail side, so we hear it. Are you okay? Lori sounds like she's on another planet. She's like, hey, baby. How you hey, doing, baby? baby? I love you, baby. What's going on? And Chad is watching it on the news. And there's that delay yeah. because you hear the cops screaming outside. But then it finally hits the <laughs> yeah. airwaves. And he's like, um... They're, they're searching the property, so I can't really talk right now. Yeah, and he's like, I don't know where I'm going to be later, so you can try to call me later. Also, like, does she just have open access to the phone in jail? Probably. Like, it sounds like a very cushy situation for everybody. And then, of course, they find the bodies of the kids buried in the backyard. Oh, my God. Yeah, so this ends with Chad and Lori both pleading not guilty. They're both held on $1 million bond because like the insurance money didn't add up to that and they right. blew it all in Hawaii. Yeah. They're prime suspects, but neither have been charged, which is fucking insane to me. Like to this day, and we don't know, like this wasn't that long ago. So we'll, I guess they're probably just gathering the information to charge them. Like they found yeah. the fucking bodies on their property. Like what? I don't know. I mean, maybe it'll come out in six weeks when Dateline does another one of these that maybe yeah. they were trying to get them on everything. Maybe right. they're trying to make a much bigger case for all of these years. And I, I, I don't know. But then like it kind of ends with our mental health experts, Tom and Vivian, who are still disgusted. And they're like, it was something that could have been prevented. And I'm sorry that uh, Tom and I weren't listened to, and that leaves two children uh, dead. What could have happened if you just would have listened to us that we she was trash from the very beginning? Maybe you could have listened to us and maybe a couple more people could have been alive, especially the fucking kids. Are you kidding me? Tom and Vivian, probably. So, girl, 
you got the updates. You got the Lori Vallow updates. Fill us in, girl. I mean, I'm trying. They're <laughs> happening in real time. So it's already updated <laughs> as I'm telling you this. So here's what I've learned. So, you know, Lori and Chad were charged with the murders of Tammy, his wife, oh. Tylee Ryan, and JJ Vallow. So then, like, Lori's deemed incompetent and <gasps> unfit to stand trial. What? Then she's indicted by June, by September. This judge still found Lori to be incompetent. They're just delaying, delaying, delaying. Oh my and God. as of October 8th, the judge granted Chad Daybell's request for a change of venue. These two are scamming us left and right to this day. How are they getting away with this? And it's like she's incompetent, but like she's fine enough to murder her kids right. and go to Hawaii and be a nightmare. Yeah. So like, can we get the show on the road or what? So, and, but seriously, like there's like phone calls where Chad called the funeral home and all this stuff about the brother. And it's like, it's crazy. Just look it up. We don't have time. There's a lot. It's just a lot of delays, but they're like in custody. Like Lori Vallow's in custody, but she's quote incompetent. And I'm like, I'll say, put her on trial anyway. I hate her. You guys, if you want more of us, find us on the Patreon. Over like 250 full bonus episodes to download and binge right now. Join the Facebook group. It's True Crime Obsessed Podcast Discussion Group. Tell the people for next Thursday what episode we're doing on Dateline. This is one that was very highly requested. It's called Deadly Desire. That's the next okay. ep we're doing. All we know is that there's some fight in the parking lot. I can't wait to get there, girl. I can't wait to find out what that's all about. As always, Keith is going to lead us on this journey. So. Totally. <laughs> all right. We love you guys. We love you. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Once, where two happy, successful families wasn't quite enough for some of them. And the wreckage is forever. They were Rob and Candy Hall. We just connected instantly. Yes, it was all just about perfect. And then, who knows why these things happen exactly. I start thinking, what is going on? Why are you acting like this? And it all came tumbling out. He just started to cry. And he said, I'm having an affair. And then one day at work, Candy was introduced to a boyishly handsome, smart-as-a-whip, cocky young lawyer, Emmett Corrigan. And, well, you know what came next. Soon there were racy emails, spicy text messages. Emmett texted me and said, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to Walgreens. And he goes, hey, meet me there. Rob, the unfaithful husband, had to know. Now he was the aggrieved spouse. And then what happened next? You can watch it yourself right here on Surveillance Tape. Patrick, welcome to the outtakes. I said to Patrick earlier, I was like, I feel like I'm tripping over my words because I was just like doing a lot of like notes today. I haven't really spoken a lot today. Yeah, you know, when you like are just right, kind of yeah, in yeah. your work and I've like, I've said like hi to Mike and stuff. I'm not a total monster. I'm not a Lori Vallow, but I haven't really like communicated a lot today. Uh -huh. And like, this uh -huh. is the thing I'm really talking about today. Yeah, I know. And I'm at a million. So I'm sorry, it's everyone. Good. I'm just, there's like a whole lot happening. They have to be a straight shooter. If they're a little coy, if they're a little yeah. meek, you can't call them point blank Frank. I'm out and proud and believing in reincarnation, by the way. I think it's a real thing. Absolutely. And we, you and I have ghost stories. I mean, come on. It's totally. like, but I also <laughs> hate Lori Vallow, so. One time, Charles was cleaning his gun and nearly shot her in the fucking head. He nearly shot Kimberly in the head, you guys. Did you hear cleaning? Because I heard the term fiddling with it. <laughs> He's a gay straight shooter. Point blank, Frank Ocean. Nailed it. That's the name of his next album. Let's go. <laughs> Moving on. We did it. <laughs> Atlantic Records, call me. We will accept royalties. Thank you so much. You are killing me today. <laughs>